Hi, this is Peter Francho, your state comptroller in Maryland. You're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, we are in the Conduit Street studios. It is early in the morning here on Wednesday, October 7th. How are you feeling this morning? Thanks for getting up and uh, and making the trek into the office to accommodate our schedules and record early in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, um, I mean, it's, it's nice to be in town and to see you and we've got some things going on around town today. Um, I, I will say... I think this is the maybe the first time we've ever recorded in the fairly early morning, and I, I don't know. I, this might lead us to be a little punchier than usual. I mean, you've got like both both hands wrapped around your caffeine source, and you know both both of us are sort of you know slugging through the the early morning hours. We'll we'll make it, but this is a little different for us. So glad to be here. I mean, Michael, we've all seen the headlines in recent weeks. The state. Revenue picture is looking very rosy, right? Everybody reads that headline and they think, hey, we're in great shape. No problem. We heard all these dire projections way back when, when the pandemic had first come on. Now you read the headline in every paper and everything looks great, right? I yeah, mean, is there any more billion to this? dollars sure, or whatever? Right? Sure. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's useful for us to spend some time sort of breaking this down, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of our lane is to be the nerds who are willing to read past the, I mean, okay, the headline has to be six or eight sexy words. And so when you read this report as an enterprising journalist covering like the state government beat, it's okay. New revenues. We're, we're writing up numbers by a billion dollars and the percentages look positive and pretty good. So that's what you go with, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. a one above the Old, big type things look great. We led with that, right, in our sure. weekly blog yeah, push. More, right? more, I mean, we thought it was the biggest story of sure. the week, and, and it was, and, and, and yeah, it was. So then, sort of, a lot of times you would have something like a deck below that. So then, not quite as big type, but a couple sentences that give you a little narrative, and then you end up with uncertainties remain about fiscal picture and federal action. Oh, wait, hold on. That's a little more complicated than like happy days are here again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then if you actually read the, you know, like the 20 paragraph article that tries to break this down, once you get to like paragraph 11 in the event that you do, you find out, wait, hold on. There's lots of ways this could go. And not all of them are happy days are here again. And we've built in some assumptions that are not ridiculous, But they're not by any means certain. That's right. And so that leads us into today. We're going to talk about the contents of the state revenue forecast, how they got to where they are, how you got to that headline that everybody read. We'll walk through the subtext here, and we'll talk about how recent developments are certain to steer the ship moving forward. So, Michael, first of all, I mean, we've talked back in, I think, May about the dire fiscal forecast from the state's top fiscal leaders. Things were looking bad. We know that COVID-19 pandemic had set in. 
all the measures to contain it, it looked like things were going to be really bad when it comes to stuff like income tax and sales tax, corporate income tax, everything like that was expected to take a huge nosedive. Here Mm -hmm. we are now in October. And at the end of the last month, we got a new forecast from the state. So let's dive into where things were, where things are now, and then how we could be affected moving forward by things that are outside of the control of the state. Right. And I mean, as we're preparing to do that, um, we should make a note how unusual it is for the revenue forecasting group to get together and even an informal, unofficial document, but to get together in the spring. I mean, this is just weeks after the General Assembly has adopted a budget and left town to get together and say, circumstances really necessitate us coming up with some new guesses as to where we're heading. That doesn't happen, mm-hmm. right? So that that's an unusual thing unto itself. And if you're an an honest broker revenue forecaster, probably the most compelling number to watch is unemployment. How many people want to work but can't find a job or are out of a job? And we saw in March and April numbers that no one in Maryland has ever seen. I mean, not even 1929 was there a week where you had people let go or suddenly out of work or filing for unemployment benefits and so forth in the in the hundreds of thousands in the state. It's just we've never seen anything like it before. So we you know, we we we've kind of covered that ground, but that lays lays the groundwork for why why did they meet in May? Because everybody's hair was on fire. Right. And okay, so make an honest projection. What do you do if we have 12% unemployment in Maryland? What does that mean for our budget and our ability to meet the needs of our citizens? Right. And really, I think it's just people looking to those those leaders and those voices and wanting them to say something, right? So they felt like they had to get together and say something. And back in May, they projected that Maryland's general operating revenues would plummet by up to $1.1 billion for fiscal 20, which ended in June, and that we'd see a $2.6 billion deficit in fiscal 21 and nearly $4 billion in decline in fiscal 22. Those numbers now, Michael, have been revised in a big way. The state bumped up its FY21 projection by $1.4 billion and $2.1 billion for fiscal 22. So first, I think, let's talk about the closeout number from fiscal 20, because we have those actuals now. We can see exactly what happened. You can dive into that report. What happened? What have we seen? What has worked to keep these numbers from plummeting the way we thought they might in May? So I think think this is probably the proper way to sort of telescope this is – yeah, when you're back in May and forecasting out a year or two at the beginning of a completely uncertain pandemic, which we don't know what the health consequence or the fiscal consequence is going to be, right. there's like massive uncertainty. I keep using this analogy of the hurricane map when you know there's like a tropical storm and it's like a grade one or grade two and it's out in the Atlantic Ocean. And then they, they come up with these cool maps and they say, where is it going to land on the East Coast? And you see this big map that goes like all the way up to like Nantucket and then it's down to Miami. Right. And when it's early, it's a huge, huge range of possible landing spots. Right, you have that cone, right? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then as things get closer and as things get clearer, then we say, okay, it's probably North or South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So you're you're safe up here in Delaware and Maryland. You're safe in South Florida. You're probably safe in Alabama. But you know, this is going to land in North Carolina, South Carolina. We've got the smaller cone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like, think of revenue for- forecasting the same way. The farther you look out the more uncertainty there is. So 
this is good. Let's start with, we now have last fiscal year in the books. Once you get to June 30 and, you know, you, you sort of tie up the accounting over the space of a few weeks afterwards. We know where last fiscal year ended. So we start there and then let's move forward from there. But the closeout for fiscal 20, as of last June 30, not that bad, right? Right. So the adjustment in May proved to be far too conservative to the tune of about $924 million for fiscal 20. So they projected huge losses. It didn't turn out that way. And what we saw, Michael, was personal and corporate income tax revenue exceeded expectations, actually. Sales tax came in lower than expected. I think that is also something that we could expect. But when it comes to personal income tax, it actually grew by 4.2% over 2019. That was unexpected. What are your thoughts? What are you seeing there as to why that may have happened? So, first of all, personal income is the single most important foundation for what's happening in today's economy and as a basis to generate state government revenue. Right. The the income tax on us as individuals, not not corporations, we can get to that too, mm-hmm. but the income tax on us as individuals is number one and by a pretty wide margin over all the rest. So it's the single most important thing. How much are we out there earning through our paychecks, earning through investments and capital gains and so forth? But like week to week, those of us who have a paycheck and have it withheld every week and so forth, that's the number one thing to move the needle. Mm-hmm. And that's it's a function of today's economy. So back to unemployment for the moment. Um, you make a good faith estimate when you're seeing these giant waves of newly unemployed Marylanders thinking those are folks who are not going to have a paycheck. Right. So they're not going to be withholding income tax. And what they end up paying for the months of April, May, and June is going to drop. Like maybe by – in the aggregate, maybe that's going to drop 15, 20, 25, 30 percent. Numbers we you just don't see. Right, right. So – I think it's a reasonable, good faith place to be on May 1st to say this could really go over the cliff with with a wide cone of uncertainty. It seems like what we saw was a lot of people who became newly unemployed found themselves supported by the federal government. We know unemployment insurance is meant to be a safety net for people who are without a job. Um, the federal government put extra weight into unemployment insurance benefits and that's taxable income. Right. That's the big takeaway, yeah. that the federal stimulus funds worked as they were intended to work. This includes direct payments to eligible Marylanders, those $1,200 stimulus right. checks, which were on a sliding scale, but that pumped money into the economy yeah. very quickly. And the, that, that happened in this in the fiscal year we're talking about. Exactly. So, so you get a check from the federal government you know, with a big signature on it for $1,200, and that happens to you during fiscal 20. So the year we're closing out, we didn't know the feds were going to come up with this relief package. They did for quite a lot of Americans, mm-hmm. plus the unemployed. Right. And then you, of course, have the Paytech Protection Program that helped businesses. And yeah, that extra bump in $600 federal unemployment benefits that has since expired. But that really did work. And it prevented a catastrophic economic crash. So 
I think you mentioned it earlier, when you're trying to run these numbers and look at the unemployment numbers, you can't think anything else but this is going to be really, really bad to the likes of we've never seen this before. But then the federal government steps in, they provide the safety net. We often, you know, bash the feds on this podcast. But in this instance, they actually did their job and they kept the economy from crashing. Now, moving forward, we don't know what that will look like. But at least for fiscal 20, I think that really buoyed our economy and really helped to actually grow income tax revenue over 2019. Right. And, and I think the reason where, why we might say that that's their job is by the, by the structure of the way we've built levels of government, the federal government has a different sort of elasticity. Their ability to react to a crisis like this is way different and way stronger than a state or a county. Right. So a state has a balanced budget requirement. They can't just go out and borrow $3 billion, float some bonds or whatever, borrow a bunch of money and spend at a deficit for a few years to get through a tough time. Mm-hmm. The state can't mm-hmm. do that. County governments can't do that. The federal government can. Now, Independent of what you think about deficit spending and the way the federal government has operated for basically our lifetimes, as a practical matter, they can do precisely that. They can go out and say, we're going to borrow a billion, or excuse me, for them, they're in the T's, right? A trillion or two to keep things from falling off the cliff. Um, It has happened before on a certain scale with the TARP program at the the fiscal crisis, you know, a decade or so ago. And we saw basically the same kind kind of thing. Let's rally the troops metaphorically. Let's let's get all the votes we can for a package to help Americans and businesses and keep this from being a collapse. And I think an awful lot of people, myself included, would say appropriate reasonable thing to do. Right. And, you know, personal income tax, of course, does matter for counties here in Maryland. We levy a personal income tax at the local level. So income tax growth is good news for counties. Mm -hmm. Michael, let's get into the next layer here. And when you're forecasting revenues and you're thinking about how people are going to react, taxpayer behavior, a lot of this has to do with the markets, right? Yeah. I mean, so if, if the biggest mover in income tax and personal income is people with jobs getting a paycheck and being withheld, uh, now we've got this extra horse in the race, which is people without jobs who are getting an unemployment check that has an extra tier of federal assistance on top. So instead of them getting a fraction of their former salary, now they're actually being held intact, more or less, or in mm-hmm. some case, they may be a little better off. Mm-hmm. But okay, so so those are important. We, we also look at what's going to happen with unearned income. And that that's things like capital gains. The simplest thing is people who are invested in the stock market and have those kinds of assets. Uh, we tend to think of in a good year on the stock market, People are going to take some gains, pull some money out of the market, you know, cash them in and pay on the capital gains. So those are good years for that unearned revenue. So in a typical recession, in a typical crisis economy, the stock market is terrible, right? And we, we saw that briefly in the spring when suddenly there's a big spike in unemployment, the stock market falls apart for the space of a couple of weeks, and no one knew quite what to do. But since then, in part because of federal relief right to companies, and you know the maybe maybe because of the checks going out to individuals saying keep buying shoes, keep buying you know takeout meals and mm-hmm, that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, let's keep the, the economy going. We haven't seen 
the private sector. We haven't seen the most of America's businesses and you know publicly traded companies fall apart. Mm-hmm. The stock market has come largely back. And so if you're projecting that part of income tax, not so bad. Right. You're, you're not making the predictions that you usually do in a crisis economy, which would be no one's got capital gains this year. It's a terrible year. And capital gains are notoriously <laughs> difficult. Yeah, they're to fickle. Project, yeah, they're, right? they're fickle anyway. It's the hardest thing to project anyhow. But to the extent that you're saying in good times project a good number and in bad times project a small number, now you're in a weird spot because objectively these seem like bad times for the economy, but they're not bad times for corporate America right now. Right. Corporate profitability has actually been okay. In Maryland, the corporate income tax revenues grew 1.8% over fiscal 2019. (laughs) Sales tax, Michael, this is to be expected. I think we saw a decline of 3.7% from 2019. This is interesting because let's remind our listeners how sales tax works in Maryland. We don't we don't assess the sales tax to certain items, right? And amid this pandemic, I think if you thought a lot of people are going to go out and they're going to buy medicine and they're going to buy food, everybody's going to be at home. We don't tax those things, right? right? So you'd have to think that's mm-hmm. going to take a hit. Nobody's out there, as you always like to say, buying refrigerators, right? right amid this pandemic. So what, what are you seeing here? I, 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 I don't think anyone knows exactly. So this is I mean, neither you nor I are really, you know, frontline revenue collectors and economists and so forth. We're just, you know, playing one on TV. Mm -hmm. But, but to the extent that I want to try and like, okay, you know, I I stayed at that hotel chain, so I'm an expert now. Um, how about this? Uh, spending has come down a bit. People feel more uncertain about their future, so you may not want to commit to a big-ticket thing if you're not sure your job is going to come back. For all these people who are laid off, but you're still getting an unemployment check, you probably don't feel like, hey, you know, this is great, and it's going to last forever, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to go out and spend like crazy and get that that big new video game console that I've always wanted. Or actually, people are buying the video game they consoles because yeah. they're at home. Turns right? out they are. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but but you know, I mean, but but some of the some of the, like durable goods is the mm-hmm. is the term of art. People aren't necessarily doing a ton of that. And like I don't know, I can't remember the last time I bought an article of clothing other than like sweatpants. Right. That's all you need. Right. right? That's all you need. Yeah. So. so I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of routine buying has probably slowed down. And so that's why you would see a drop by the end of fiscal 20. So we're talking about into the spring and the early summer months of this year, sales tax being down a bit. I mean, a 3 or 4% drop is a pretty big deal. Right. Ordinarily, in an ordinary economy, you'd see that bump up by 2 3 4% in a given year. And I think we were on track to get there before the pandemic. R- right. right. So, so that's almost certainly pandemic effects. But as we get into forecasting ahead... There's another weird thing going on, and that is people don't know where to put their money right now. If you're spooked by the stock market and like the bond market is weird and tricky and so forth, like interest rates have have turned super low. And we know that a lot of people buying a house, if you're in a situation where you feel like you might be able to afford a house and make that commitment, if you think your job is secure and you can do that, interest rates are super low right now. And if you're thinking in terms of a monthly payment, houses are on sale. Right, right. And <laughs> so, a lot of people refinancing as well. Yes, yeah. So so there's plenty of that. And and but but one thing that happens is people typically when they buy a house, they put stuff in it. That's right. That's <laughs> so right. they so they do buy a new sink and they buy a new fridge and a washing machine or an area rug or a piece of furniture and all those sorts of things. 
whether whether you even if you buy online like we're, we're we have we have you know the sales and use tax technically is is it applies to stuff brought into the state so you put all those pieces together and things might be kind of artificially inflated on the sales tax side because people are spending on stuff that go along with buying a new house you don't pay sales tax on a house that's a different thing but the stuff you put into a house is a pretty meaningful part of the what generates sales tax. I think that's a great point. I mean, including big ticket items like appliances, right? So you got to put appliances in the house. So look, we've gone through where the state is, what happened in fiscal 20. We've talked about why and, and what the state has done in terms of projections moving forward. And Michael, we know that these projections come with a few major caveats. And first, the projections, the, you know, the, the revenue uptick, is assuming that Congress is going to pump out another round of significant stimulus, not only for the state and local governments, but for residents, for businesses. And it also assumes that we're not going to see a second wave of COVID-19 infections, which would result in shutting down the economy again. So these are really big ifs, right, moving forward. And I think all of this essentially amounts to revenue forecasting is really hard. And (laughs) yes, these numbers were off. But again, you can't predict what the federal government is going to do, that they're going to pump all this money in that it's going to work. You can't predict that the interest rates are going to plummet. Like you said, people are buying homes, they're putting stuff in their homes. So all in all, I mean, it's really difficult. And even so, we've seen this revenue write up. If you're down in the 24th paragraph, that's where you're going to see these caveats and that, hey, don't go out and spend gangbusters because we have to make these assumptions and they are major, major ifs moving forward. And if you're the type of person, which Kevin, you and I are, that you're the type of person who actually would read the full report from the Board of Revenue Estimates and the Bureau that, that channels them, you get into the weeds in that report and you see pages that are labeled things like scenario A, scenario B, scenario C and D. And these are like, okay, well, but what if this happens and what if that happens and then what happens from here? And those chart, I mean, typically these are just like big graphs and stuff like that, but like those graphs will look quite different when you change a couple of those base assumptions. Right. So, you know, if the feds don't come through with a wave two of support, then, oh, we have to rewrite everything. And, and if we have a, a serious and deleterious second wave of COVID that requires, you know, aggressive measures that would affect the economy, oh, well, that, that, that affects the numbers a lot also. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that stuff kind of, <laughs> it's, it's beyond the, beyond the economist realm exactly. But you have to say, like, we're making our guesses based on the things we see and we predict. And you, you know, you work with a company like, like Moody's, the Mm -hmm. state, the state has a contract with Moody's and their, their forecasting service. And they've done basically the same thing. Like we think this is what's going to happen politically and medically. And based on that, here's what we think goes with that economically. Uh, but yeah, revenue forecasting is hard. We, we, we've, we've been in the room and heard the forecaster guy basically say, I know I'm going to be wrong. I just don't yet know in what direction and for what reasons. Right. And, <laughs> and, and that's, that's a perfect place to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about those scenarios and what could happen moving forward, including how recent developments may and almost certainly will impact these forecasts moving forward, all that and more after the break. This is John Frenet with Ion Annapolis to let you know about our daily news brief podcast. If you want to keep up on Annapolis area local news, local weather, and local events, check us out. 
We produce episodes every Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and deliver them right to your phone or computer for free. You can also catch them on our Facebook page, All Annapolis, or under the podcast category at ionanapolis.net. You can even ask Alexa to play it for you. So, if you want to keep up to speed on Mayor Buckley, County Executive Pittman, Navy football, maybe you're looking for a weekend thing to do, or if you just want to catch the hyper-local weather, give a listen to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, on the front half, we talked about the state's revenue projections. We talked about what the actual numbers looked like for fiscal 20. We have that data. We can read the reports and dive in. We also know, though, that things are looking rosier for fiscal 21, fiscal 22, the out years, right? The state has written up those projections. It's rosier, right? But we still have these caveats that we talked about on the front end. So, you know, all of this is dependent on things that we're seeing in Washington, things that, you know, like vaccines, right? All of these things that are big unknowns at this point. So when you look at the projections now, we've written up for 21 and 22. What is your take? I mean, is it the same thing? Like, hey, revenue forecasting is hard and there are a lot of unknowns? Definitely true that forecasting is hard, but I I would say like to pick up on where we left off in the front half, I would say like what a weird time it's got to be to to be an economist who focuses on the public sector, whether you work for Moody's or whether you work for the state of Maryland or wherever uh, you you have uh, you have a degree in econometrics and you you're really really good at, at sifting through financial information and you read all this you know, stuff we've talked about is like the underlying the things that drive the numbers sure. we watch the unemployment we watch those weekly claims numbers we try and understand what's embedded in there how many people have left the labor force like like the the language of economists has become sort of the the currency of talking about this kind of stuff we what's look good? at yeah. baskets of goods right yeah exa- right. yeah exactly right all those sorts of phrases that you know we're we're not practicing economists but when you hang out with them you need to you need to understand the things that they pay attention to mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and like dopes like us spend our time paying attention to things like twitter and social media and chit chat and and politics and and hashtags, right? So now, if if you're if if you're the revenue forecaster the for the state of turned. Maryland, yeah, the tables have turned. Like, like you know what? You've got to be you got to do you got to go get a Twitter account, dude. You if you're doing forecasting for the state of Maryland, you've got to be on Twitter because probably the biggest variables that affect how things look are. What are the momentary adjustments in vaccine trials? Like what's, what's the word on the street about the stage three for this company's vaccine? And that, like, is that happening? Is that, does that look like it's going to happen by, you know, by New Year's Eve or is it going to be next Easter or whatever? I mean, and then at the same time, to be honest, like the politics in Washington are an enormous part of this. We made, we made general mention that the the presence of a second round of federal relief is kind of baked into these forecasts. So, okay, that's not a dishonest thing for Moody's and for the state of Maryland to do, but that's a really, really big deal. And the news is happening not in economics reports, but it's happening like in real time in social media, right? It, it really is. And, it, and it's important, <laughs> I think. I mean, look, we, we, we sit here and we talk about Twitter and – Yes, Twitter is certainly where the action is. We have all these scoops that are constantly <laughs> populating to your feed. I mean, I feel bad that we're asking people to to log into Twitter because 
if you are a prolific Twitter user like you and I are, the past week particularly has been oh. exhausting. Oh, It's just nonstop, and now Eddie Van Halen is dead. Right. I mean, 2020 can't get any worse. It's but hard, it, but, to, hard to imagine. Although, yeah. I mean, I don't did did we did we just skip the murder hornets? Did that just not happen? Did they just take a they they did like the cicada thing? Like, yeah, we'll, we'll come back. We'll do another time. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? This is too much, right. and we don't think you can handle right. it right now. But honestly, though, it is exhausting, and it is nonstop news, and it really it, it's crazy. So, case in point. Yesterday, speaking of stimulus, and again, we mentioned that these projections that Maryland's revenue forecasters are making are based on the assumption that we will get another round of significant federal stimulus. And and for for the week or so since the last, since the formal meeting of our state revenue forecast, we saw day by day stuff happening through social media mostly right. saying that we're still negotiating in the house the house of representatives might have a new package they're talking directly with secretary Mnuchin, and you know he's trying to leverage a deal that might get support in the US Senate mm-hmm. i mean those those are the hurdles you would need to clear to get something done and yeah you know, we always thought this might be a process of it won't be the whole plan that the house liked but it might be more than the sen- than the senate had once talked talked about so maybe there's a middle ground and i don't know you know if you're trying to read these tea leaves there was reason last thursday friday and over the weekend to have some degree of optimism something might happen yeah we saw the problem solvers caucus get involved and everybody was trying to work out some kind of a deal that would pump money into the economy and help people that need it right and then we know you know the news cycle over the weekend was different and focused on other things Mm -hmm. that may or may not have had anything to do with the political back and forth but then Tuesday night happens. Tuesday night happens, and actually Tuesday afternoon, <laughs> the president sends a tweet that he is cutting off negotiations for a new round of federal stimulus until after the election. Michael, right away, the markets right. tumbled. And again, this right. is this just... Is a, yeah, this is like at 3 o'clock or yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, it's an know. amazing time that one tweet <laughs> right. can, can drive so much policy, can, can crash the markets. I mean, really, these are wild times. But after that tweet went out, you and I were watching Twitter. We saw other tweets later on from the president that sort of walked back his initial remarks. And he's talking now about, well, maybe I will do some of this stuff. Like, I like the idea of sending the the stimulus checks to everybody. I like the idea of maybe bailing out the airline industry. I want to get money to these businesses to keep propping them up. But I don't like all the other stuff. So I'd like to do this piecemeal. And if you send that to me now, I'll sign it. It's uh, as, as a tribute to, to Eddie and his friends. It's a little bit like going through the bowl of M&Ms Ooh. and picking out the colors that you want and the colors that you don't want, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, don't want, we don't want the brown M&Ms. Get them out of here. That's in the contract. Right. And we know, <laughs> we know the danger in that, right? I mean, we're the county podcast. We have been right. pushing NACO at the national level, has been pushing for direct and flexible aid to states and local governments who we know are on the front lines of the pandemic. Right. The danger of doing this piecemeal is the stuff that you don't do now now gets kicked down the road, and then you never do it. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, right? So if, if you're talking about, well, I'll do this stuff piecemeal now, the danger in that is the other stuff never gets done. And so now you're in a situation where you have this stalemate between Congress and the president, and it's all political at this point. You know, they're trying to back each other into a corner. And, and what does that mean yeah. moving forward? Particularly, let's bring it back to our revenue forecast. Right. So, so like we're all guessing. I mean, we're we're literally like the markets just opened as we've been recording. So I don't even know what happens. But like, but like the the fact that U.S. markets tumbled on the president's announcement that he's walking away from the table. 
strongly suggests that most of the people who are guiding money for investments were thinking they're going to work something out. Mm -hmm. And if the president announces, I'm walking away from the table, that seems like a big development. I'm more pessimistic. That's uncertainty. That's downside risk. And maybe I want to get out. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what today, Wednesday, is going to look be looking like. If you typically listen to this podcast on Friday and Saturday, like a lot of people seem to, who knows? Like the market may be way down or like yeah, all those indicators are crazy. And if, if we knew how that was going to happen, we wouldn't be stuck here doing this podcast. We would we would be like moving a lot of, uh, you know, quip toothbrushes and a lot of purple mattresses and right, so forth right. with our like we know the market podcast. Right. So, right. you know, someday maybe that, that'll be our gig. But for, for now – we should stay in our lane and say everybody who watches this stuff has their head in their hands trying to figure out what the heck could possibly be going on. But certainly a, a big nod in the direction of uncertainty and and maybe nothing happening. Now, the president said initially negotiations are off until after the election. Right. So let's walk through a couple scenarios here. The first scenario is that they get something done before the election, right? Right. And then the second one would be during the lame duck term in Congress. And then, of course, you can go out post-January 20th. How would all of that affect Maryland's revenue projections when it comes to what we're looking at, let's say, yeah. for fiscal 21? Do these dates matter? Yeah, um, the, I, th I think the dates definitely matter, and especially to the extent that anecdotally in Maryland – and across the country, we think that there's an awful lot of people who who got some temporary help through extra unemployment benefits. Those don't exist anymore, mm -hmm. and those people are now getting by on a fraction of their former income. And we've also seen, yeah. you know, the, the comptroller, they've projected that half of the jobs that we lost will not come back. Right. So that's a huge unknown is – a lot of the jobs in like just in the in the what we what would think economically as a short term like the next 12 months mm -hmm, or so mm -hmm. like if you're working at a hotel if you're working at a restaurant in hospitality in some of the service areas that were most immediately and abruptly hit like a lot of those jobs aren't back. Uh, your your bar and restaurant might be open, but it's just a third you know third capacity. It's only at certain times and only on nice days. Mm -hmm, right? that, mm -hmm. That's kind of what's happening now. Right, right. So the staff is not has not been all brought back. If you had eighteen people on staff at that restaurant before, you're getting by with eight, and those jobs just don't exist now. It's not a matter of you know the we're rehiring for the night shift. It's not like that. Mm -hmm. So so all those things. Like if we go an extra six weeks or an extra three months in that setting, and I mean, sorry, but as we think about restaurants and outdoor seating, that's been the parachute for a lot of the economy. It's going to get cold come mm -hmm. November, December, mm -hmm. and sitting outside and having your enchiladas is going to feel a little less inviting when it's 26 degrees. I mean, I'm going to still be wearing shorts. I'm committed to short pants through the calendar year. Oh, me but. too. But, but <laughs> I, I will say, though, the good news is we've seen counties in Maryland stepping up with innovative yeah. programs to provide grants to restaurants yeah. who are winterizing their operations right. and making sure that they they can have patio seating with heaters and whatnot, because right. it seems like that is the only way they can survive throughout the winter. If you can't have people inside because of social distancing and whatnot, yeah. and you really have to have access to that outdoor seating. So counties are stepping up yeah. with a lot of these innovative ideas. But I agree with you. I mean, six weeks a week makes a big difference when it comes to yeah. what the revenue picture looks like for the state. So I think that's, that's definitely the case. So it really matters. And if it's just, we're not even going to talk about this stuff until into the month of November. 
November. And for Congress, that typically means really into the month of December. It's usually the month of December where a lame duck Congress gets a lot of stuff done that had been on the to-do list for their two-year term. That's a really common phenomenon, and there's no reason to to not think that might happen here. Anyway, what we're getting at is – like if instead of this happening in October, it might be December, that itself is a big deal to the American and Maryland economy and our revenue. I, I think if there's if there's that much uncertainty and whether whether we're getting our news through social media or conventional channels or whatever, if we go over the next couple of weeks and it looks like nothing's happening now, who knows what might happen in December or in January or whenever, it's probably time to leaf back into those reports and instead of going with you know, our official projection is based on the feds coming through. Right. It's probably time to look at scenario B and C and D and whatever else is out there. But let's, let's look at some of those not so rosy, not so optimistic and no big uptick. It's probably time to dust off scenario C and D, which is bad. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're a policymaker, you're used to, just watching the revenue forecast and having a pretty clear idea. Like this is going to be a tough year or this is going to be a relatively smooth year. I don't think you have that forecast. There's still a pretty wide cone on where the storm could land, so to speak. And of course, the election and how the election turns out is going to have a major impact on what happens moving forward. When we can develop a vaccine and get it out to people has a big impact here. So a lot of unknowns, but that's where we are right now. Michael, do you have any closing thoughts about revenue projections or the state's fiscal picture moving forward? Maybe how it's going to affect county governments? I mean, if this plays out the way they think it does? Well, I guess, I mean, a couple minutes on what the feds are talking about. I mean, we've we, we've talked about this a little bit. We had Mark Ritaco from from NACO join us a few weeks ago. And I, th- I thought he did a nice job of walking through the components of what a, a round two, or you could call it round four or five, mm-hmm. or whatever. It's, it's it's hard to keep right, count, but right. but a, a, a next big round of federal stimulus or recovery or support or whatever. The next round would include a bunch of different pieces. You know, we think there's a really strong argument that state and local governments need basically help us replace revenues we're going to lose, so we don't have to lay off the people who are doing this frontline work. Right. I think that's a compelling argument. It's gotten tied up in politics, and that's one of the items that you don't see as a presidential olive branch. Right, it's not on his right? short list. Right. So if his short list is, hey, you know, checks to people, I could get on board with doing that real quick, probably especially if it got out before the election. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we could do something for unemployed people. Okay. You know, maybe that's a, an area of some possible common ground. Maybe let's rescue some airlines. Because we don't want that to just, you know, that's an infrastructure we don't want to disappear. Okay, like those are the sorts of things we've seen as maybe that's the quick middle ground. Um, Instead of being supportive on this area, we've seen the language from the president be negative. Mm -hmm. And he's seemingly persuaded by some anecdotes that, oh, there's going to be some state that's run by the other political party that's made bad decisions, and they're going to use COVID money to sort of paper over their fiscal problems. They have a, they have a their pension system is broke, and they're going to somehow hijack this money right. and fill up their pension program or you know, things like that that are un-COVID related. I, I mean, I think universally 
the leaders in state and local governments at the Governor's Association and NACO and the League of Cities and so forth have all said, like, we'll take strings. Right. Right. If the feds want to show up and say, this is just, you know, to to replace the revenues you're losing because of the economy, to to target areas of spending that you're that have been triggered by having this pandemic, mm-hmm. we'll we'll take those kind of strings. Just get the money out so we don't have to fall apart. Right. Um Regardless, there's some political messaging at work, and that is just part of what happens when it's Washington politics in making the final call is it's going to get fraught with stuff on Twitter and who's winning the who's winning the optics war and and things like that. So sadly, a little less about governance and a little more about, you know, sort of politicking. That's what we get in the nation's capital. Tough times, a lot of unknowns. I think the big takeaway is everybody should go download the Twitter app. It is free for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I really, I would feel guilty telling people to do that. I like, know. Like, if there were just, I don't know, maybe there's a service out there. Maybe this is the million-dollar idea, like a service out there that someone could read through what might have been your Twitter feed and, like, give me a morning, you know, download. I don't know. Maybe John Frenet could be this, – this, like our guy John could be very capable of saying if you stayed away from social media yesterday, like a few minutes on the Ion on Annapolis. I actually like we should talk to John. Yeah, shout out to the Ion on Annapolis <laughs> podcast. Play I'd listen to, to John tell me what I missed on social media every day. I like it. Maybe we could do that. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's our lane. I don't know. We could do it together. It's yeah, weird. we could do it together. We could do it together. Side project. All right, we'll leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for now, for Michael, this is Kevin signing off, and we will talk to you soon.